0: Warning, spoilers ahead. I love Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I was obsessed. Loving Freddy Krueger, loving a Nightmare on Elm Street. But part two came along and it was just such a strange movie.
1: Some of the circumstances around the making of this film created a lot of hurt for him.
0: And people ask you about it, you say, no, Mark was just so gay that he ruined the movie. It was on the page of the script and I knew we were treading in there. This is not a delusion that I'm having. You filmed in one of the biggest gay bars in Los Angeles. Oh, was that a gay bar? Yeah. Oh, my God. The movie was 30 years ago, and you're still pissed off at Dave Jaskin. You've been lying for 30 years about this.
1: Yeah, I never wrote, you know, he screams like a woman. Good evening, and welcome to television.
0: Hello! Hello! Hi there! Hi! Whoa. Oh. I'm Wayne Stellini and welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films everything from the mainstream to the obscure. Joining me today on this fearsome Friday, it's Kendall Richardson! Yeah, of
1: course it is! Hello! Hey, Kendall! <laughs> Hi!
0: Welcome back!
1: Glad to be back as always.
0: Well, always glad to be talking movies with you, my dear.
1: Likewise. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of talking about movies, Wayne, Mm -hmm. what are we here to discuss today?
0: Well, today we're discussing 2019's documentary, Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Please explain. Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street examines the legacy of Jack Shoulder's 1985 slasher, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, as well as the life of its leading man, Mark Patton. The sequel to Wes Craven's groundbreaking horror released the previous year became known for its homoerotic themes, which affected Patton, who was in the closet at the time of the film's production. Nominated for the 2021 Glad Media Award for Outstanding Documentary, Kendall, my queen. Did you scream for my nightmare on Elm Street? <laughs>
1: uh, I'm not a queen, um, but thank you. You are my queen. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> yes i i really really enjoyed this documentary as i've gotten older and you know as a movie viewer and a movie reviewer i suppose Mm. it's good to kind of get into watching more documentaries and learn like they're they're such great educational tools i Mm. think and i never i used to avoid them like the plague when i was younger but as i've gotten older it's just been really nice to Learn about the world in mm. that in that sense at, at, at the same time of expanding my love for film. So this was a documentary that had been on my radar mm. for a while since it came out. I think that I would wanted to watch, watch it. But I, you know, I had not seen, of course, *The Nightmare on Elm Street* Part Two: mm. Freddy's Revenge until recently. So thus the perfect opportunity had presented itself to finally see this film. And yeah, no, I, I thought it was a great documentary. It was eye-opening. And just, I think I love Mark Patton mm. so much. What a brave person. Yeah. What what a kind of a an icon. This documentary really just made me realise how much that movie must have meant to so many people. And still obviously does. Yeah. Today. Absolutely. Over 30 years later. Like, that's... At the, f- at the fact that it was... I think it's such a, a kind of a... I don't know, an underdog story, a hero kind of journey mm. story with this film. And for, for for Mark Patton, because the film was... Even though it was successful at the box office, it was not obviously received well amongst the critics and the fans because of things that happened in the film. that people at the time, of course, being the climate yeah. politically and socially in relation to being gay and relation to AIDS and everything just mm. really was this storm of events that just meant that this film was never meant to be what it should have been at the time. Yeah. And so it's so nice that for it to come from that tumultuous beginning mm. that now it's kind of blossomed into this, you know, not even just a cult classic, but just into this groundbreaking kind of a landmark film in queer cinema Yeah, for people... Of all ages especially gay men to Mm. really go I can see myself on this screen and that's going to help me accept who I am as a person and to see Mark Patton with his fans in this documentary especially Mm. touched me quite a lot because it's so nice having himself been through so much turmoil in relation to his experience on the film and following and everything awful that happened during the 80s amongst the gay community it's just so nice to see that he himself has acknowledged what the film means to people now and he can reconcile the struggle he went through and go, okay, I've had this struggle, but Mm. now because of this film, because of what I went through, other kids, other men, other women Mm. won't have to struggle the same way. Like It can be a beacon of hope. So this documentary unexpectedly really just made me kind of, like I knew it was going to be good, but it really just kind of made me just wriggly, I don't know, I just see this movie for something so much bigger than what it it seems at face value.
0: Yeah, I think I sort of see it as a cathartic experience for Mike Patton, and I feel like if anybody needs that he's entitled to it yes you know like i've read some reviews on this documentary and a majority are really positive but yeah there's one review that essentially just dismissed him as being whingy and whiny and nothing sort of comes from it but Mm -hmm. i'm but you know what but i think so much has been said about this film at the time over the years and will forevermore and whilst as times progressed the dialogue on this movie has become more and more positive mm. and affirming, mm. and it's being embraced by lots of different people, which is wonderful. But for what, three and a half decades, Mike mm. was distant from that.
1: Mm.
0: You know, he mm. essentially just disappeared yeah. intentionally and for multiple reasons that he discusses quite openly in this film. So he doesn't know the impact of this movie. Yeah. And as he demonstrates, when he first started to engage again with this film three decades later, it was essentially all negative about what people were saying yeah. about it.
1: Yeah.
0: And I love that he's then gone in a proactive manner to change the narrative. Yes. And look, he's probably just done that for himself and... He's entitled to it. Mm. It's a very public therapy session, right? When when the cause of trauma is distributed around the world. Mm. And we as an audience can never understand the full extent to the making of a movie. Just a movie in general, but Mm. one that has a lot of stakeholders involved who are impacted by this. We can't appreciate it. So I think in that journey to heal, he's in tone giving opportunities for other people. Yes. So one of the things that I've discovered as I explore horror movies more, and especially their histories, their productions, and their legacies, slashers especially, is how much they appeal to people who don't quite fit into the mainstream. And these are people who are a part of the mainstream because we're all human beings. We are all in the center. Mm-hmm. We all deserve to be there. hmm but based on our social structures, our cultural coding, it's not that way. It's not not everyone is treated with that same respect. So what do we do? We look for escapism. And the horror genre provides that so beautifully. Mm-hmm. I like that, you know, what's talked about here is the context. That's very important mm-hmm. because I don't think we can even we can't appreciate what it must have been like for Mark Patton and other closeted gay actors at the time. Mm. There was stuff that I didn't even know about that was brought up in this documentary, such as the fact that television actors had to have AIDS tests.
1: Yeah. I I
0: had never heard that before. And I can appreciate it with the whole Rock Hudson connection to being on tv and yep. you know people were fearful because we have to vilify someone and mm. vilify a community and in the 80s it was the queer community gay men especially mm. so all of that that's such a big weight especially you're a young person you never fit in at home you found your tribe yeah. in this industry you are stunning so everybody wants you you're building a name for yourself you're very employable because you're so good looking and it turns out you can act Mm. you're put on a broadway show with Cher yeah (laughs) directed by Robert Altman Altman. (laughs) what is it six months later you go into the production the film production of that same show Mm. getting good reviews You're cast as the protagonist in the biggest horror franchise Mm -hmm. at the time Mm -hmm. because it's new and exciting. Things are going your way. But then there's all of these other things happening around you as well. And, yeah, I find that marks candor, his vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's admirable Mm -hmm. because when somebody is expressing their feelings – you know it's easy to say I'll oh, just toughen up or well that happened long ago get over it you're in a better place now yeah and to some degree freddie part 2's director jack shoulder says that to him he says that to mike yeah. at the end which was a bit disappointing because i feel like he was always on mike's side yeah but at the end of the day jack shoulder made the movie and he does say he had no idea about any queer subtext <sighs> That's yeah. his story. He's sticking, he's to, sticking it, right? to it, right? Uh, but I'm, I'm pretty sure there are quotes out there. and We mentioned this in our podcast review mm-hmm. of Freddie's Revenge. That I'm pretty sure Jack has said on the record that he's become aware of it. Yeah. And you know, but look, that's neither here
1: nor there. That, that, that's
0: what it is. Yeah. you know. We can only take with what this documentary is showing us. But but yeah, it's it's a it's a lot of, it's a lot of pressure. I don't think we can ever really appreciate. No what Mike has been through. And I like that this film gives him a voice mm-hmm. and also it celebrates the good things about Freddie too, as well. But some of the things that are really heavily talked about here is Mike himself. And I do like that this movie is not just simply a retrospective making of Freddie part two. Mm. It's, you know, it does focus on that. Well, has to. It's it's about the movie central, right? Yeah. But it's seen through Mark's lens. Yeah. And it's the the, the only lens that really should be be seen through Mm -hmm. in this film. And Mm -hmm. there's quite a few, you know, discussions and tidbits from cast and crew, which is great. Mm -hmm. That so many people were very happy to talk about this film and put their point forward. I like that the main concerned parties had their say. Yeah. For me, I think that was important to show. For sure. To show some balance. And... One of the more interesting comments uh, that I found was from the wonderful Robert Russler, who we absolutely adored in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) The jock with a heart of gold. Uh, I love that Robert says, and it's pretty much the only one who says this, is, well, I got the gay subtext at the audition. (laughs) A, I love that he says that. Mm -hmm. And B, I love that that did not deter him from taking yeah. the role,
1: yeah, how good,
0: yeah. But I found that really interesting. He seemed to be quite fine and, and happy with it. Yeah, might be different from him because he's heterosexual, and it didn't seem to affect impact him. Yeah, his career like it like it did Mike, or at least on a personal level, didn't affect him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, I loved Robert Russell in this. I mean, we loved him on screen as a character, we and now did. we just love him yeah. again. That's so all. Just like. Well, you're just amazing. I
1: know. <laughs> Isn't that nice when, you know, you, you, you fall in love with a character and then you find out that the actor's just as good? Yeah, you know? absolutely. It's so refreshing. Yeah.
0: But there was some really good insights and I love... that was a wonderful perception there. And he seems to take it all with good humour and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But also the other Robert in the film the beautiful and wonderful Robert England.
1: Yes. I'm so glad he was involved. With yeah. It gives, gives some kind of legit, not to say legitimacy, like mm. without him, yeah. but like the fact that, you know, cause you know, you see a lot of either, you know, documentaries or, or making of mm. behind the scenes, special things that happen where they, they can only get certain members of the cast and crew. Yeah. They never get the main star, all this stuff. So the fact that they that Robert was more than happy to be a part of this documentary, mm. I think says a lot about who he is as a person yes. and his feelings on what happened to Mark and about the film in
0: general. Yeah, and I love that he gives that insight about that scene that he has with Mark by the stairs. And mm, That I, was fascinating. Yeah, and I think Mark had said that that was... For him, he he felt that that was the, the gayest moment for his, or that's when yeah. he knew it was sort of there was some sub some gay subtext yeah. was, was doing that, and he was happy to go along with that scene of Freddie caressing him, and mm. you know that long fingernail, that blade, mm. um, having a phallic representation. Mm. So you know we've mentioned this before when talking about Freddie movies is that there is always this undercurrent of sex and sexuality mm-hmm. because we're dealing with teenagers mm-hmm. hormones mm-hmm. dreams like you know they, they all tie together so it makes sense but because it makes sense we then get confronted by it because it's male and male and you know you've got like this beauty in the beast <laughs> you know as 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 Robert England says between the two and yeah, it was interesting that Mike had said that, you know, somebody from from makeup or, or special effects pulled him aside under the proviso of like, oh, I'm just touching up your makeup. But it was really an excuse or a reason to take Mike aside and say, don't let him put that blade in your mouth because it looks like oral sex, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, to have... This idea that the queer subtext was there and the director not knowing it is hard to believe. 100% hard to
1: believe. You know,
0: if people are just picking it up. And again, because it's a Freddy movie, there's always the sexual subtext to it. Yeah. And I yes, I appreciate we're only into the second film. Yeah. But it's there in the first movie. It is, yeah. It is there in the script (laughs) that you are bringing to life. You're looking at storyboards, you're blocking, you're specifically casting Mark Patton because he isn't this typical hyper masculine presence. He is incredibly pretty, Mm, mm -hmm. and his appearance, his physicality is lit, Mm. it's framed. It's exposed in certain ways. You're making these conscious decisions Mm -hmm. as a director.
1: Yep.
0: Right. So I do have issue with what Jack Shoulder says. Yeah, me too. Yeah, because at the end (laughs) of the day, I don't think that Mark Patton ever really saw the gay subtext as a negative insofar... As that it was there, everyone worked together on it. But I think his issue is that because the gay subtext is seen in a negative way by others, Mm -hmm. that instead of owning up to it, Mm. it's like, well, we had an effeminate lead. And that's why it comes across as... As being gay. And people are using gay in this discussion as a negative. Mm -hmm. Not as the wonderful positive element that it is in this movie. Furthermore, Mark's issue is... Now that people love the fact that there is gay subtext. That it is a queer horror movie. Suddenly, everyone's happy to take credit for it and embrace it. And... Not really give credit to Mark at all. (laughs) So if Mark ever comes across as being angry, Mm. as being bitter, as being cynical, Mm -hmm. and you know what? Even whiny. And for the record, (laughs) I don't think he's whiny at all. I know, neither do I. But even if he was... He has every right to be. Absolutely. Like, he's getting pushed and pulled in all of these different directions. He's Mm -hmm. the scapegoat when it suits you. Yeah. And he's just an insignificant member of the team when it suits you as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so hypocritical, Mm. this entire thing. Especially, I remember there was a scene uh, where he's talking about, you know, the whole realising the gay subtext and everything. Yeah. And I think he's talking about the dance, right? Yep. Quite, quite an iconic scene oh, yeah. um, <laughs> in Freddy's Revenge. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful. I mean, it's no Crispin Glover as we've discussed. Absolutely, <laughs> and is
0: acknowledged in this movie. I know. I agree. <laughs>
1: Oh, my God. These these filmmakers are our kind of people. Yep.
0: Um, And, Kendall, I think you and I can say right now, even though we have not seen every single horror movie ever made, (laughs) that Crispin Glover's dance will always be the best dance in a horror movie. Yep,
1: yep, done. Yep, never (laughs) topped.
0: Mike, you come second. Yes. (laughs) So far. Very close. Very close. (laughs) So far. Yeah.
1: But when he's talking about the dance scene and stuff and about how David Chaskin's, like, you know, written the script in a certain Mm. way, he is the person he's written this role for right this is what he looks like and and he's doing the dance and and you know he hasn't been told to do anything any particular way they're just yeah. like go for it yeah and he was getting applauded by yeah. everyone like people were loving it he was getting encouraged so the fact that like filming mm. the movie for the most part Seemed to be a very good experience. Yeah. At least in terms of what they felt they were making, especially from Mark's point of view, yeah. was a great movie. Yeah, A great horror film and a great addition to this, you know, emerging franchise, mm. you know? So it's just so hypocritical for that experience. And this um, obviously adds to Mark's frustrations yeah. and anger in relation to this whole thing, because, you know, he he was told he was doing great and it was awesome and it was nothing but good. And then as mm. soon as, you know... Things don't go the way that they were quote unquote supposed to go. Yeah. Suddenly it's all his fault and it's, everything's negative. And so the community that he felt so loved and welcomed by, like he's found family almost where he's able to be fully himself, even though not publicly
0: yep.
1: out, but at least, you know, he's an artist, right? Yeah. Um, and he's around fellow artists for that community to then kind of betray him in a way, starting with this film. And then on top of the AIDS epidemic mm. in America just really reinforcing, you know, Hollywood really just doubling down yeah. on their homophobia. Like, I don't, yeah, like you said, I don't blame him at all no. for any emotion that he felt, like any anger, any resentment, any hatred of any kind, because it's all justified. Yeah, I, And the fact that you've, you've said a reviewer called him whiny, mm. I I don't, I completely, I could not disagree with that more because yeah. he is totally allowed... To be, uh, to be angry and, and, and hurt by this because, I mean, <laughs> there's a reason he withdrew from the spotlight. He left the country. Yeah. He moved to Mexico. Yeah. You know, like he couldn't be himself in America anymore. Yeah. And he couldn't live the way he wanted to live because they, you know, society in America would not let him live that way. And in Mexico, you know, he was unknown yep. virtually. He could carry on the way he wanted and just kind of rebuild his life. Like, you know, that's no small thing yeah. for someone to go, I've had that bad of an experience that I've withdrawn from public yeah. like, the public eye completely. Like, that's that says something. So, the fact that people like Jack Shoulder, who does seem... Look, he seems to come across as kind of a nice guy. Yeah, like, I agree. Like, he doesn't seem like he's intentionally being yes. hurtful by, by anything he's saying. I feel like when he was telling Mark that it's been a while, maybe you should relax. Yeah. Like... You know, not, that was not verbatim, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just that vibe of, you know, it's, time has passed, you must forgive and move on. That was coming from a good place. I agree, yeah. I still don't agree with it, though. Yeah. Because, and you can see the look on Mark's face. Yeah. He does not agree. You can tell straight away. And then even when the way the documentary ends with that just, the tension mm. that oozed through the camera, capturing mm. that moment between Mark and David Chaskin. Yeah finally confronting each other about their different perspectives, what Mark went through, how David sees it.
0: That
1: was, that was incredibly well done. Like just... On so many levels, like for them to have
0: that. And I like that Mike had said, we couldn't have had this conversation in Florida, you know, at the convention because, you know, it was just the two of them. Yes, you've got a camera crew, but, (laughs) but it really is a one on one. Yes. You don't have other people putting in their two cents. You don't, for example, have it at a panel where I feel that if that was conversation was being held in front of an audience they would have eaten David Cheskin a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And so I I think that that was the best way for them to, yeah. s- to sort it. And I'm glad that both acknowledged their role in however they were feeling. For sure. You know, like, because Mark doesn't at all in their conversation claim to have not made mistakes in the way yeah. he yeah. relays things or the way he feels about yeah. David Chaskin. Mm-hmm. But one thing that... I really like that is discussed. And, you know, when we were reviewing Freddy's Revenge, we talked a lot about the the queer subtext in this, the intentions of the filmmakers. We didn't really talk about the writer, though. No, we you didn't. Know, we yeah. did talk about the filmmaker's intentions. Yes. And it looks like, if we want to take Jack Shoulder's word, we were completely wrong about his <laughs> intentions. We gave him far too much credit, yeah. right? Yeah. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... And I'm glad that we... We have that as our initial response to that movie because that's all you can go with Mm -hmm. is what a filmmaker presents. And, of course, we would talk about the director because the director is the author of the film. Mm. Because, as is always said, the screenplay is just the blueprint. Things change and things develop when a film is being made. And that's why the director always gets the most credit, (laughs) you know, because they're the ones that will realize it and put it together Mm -hmm. Uh, like you know even that dance routine Mm. it sounded to be quite a collaborative exercise Mm. because mark said in the script it literally said that i close the drawer with my butt yeah and then david retorted yes but that sort of motion you did near your crutch that wasn't in the script and that was something that you thought of so it's again it's it might sound a bit tit for tat but i think it's making everyone accountable sure. and at least between these two mm. both are being i think quite honest like i believed yeah. i believed both of them because i felt that david and it could have just been the way that discussion was edited because it's not it's obviously not the full oh, discussion no, but wouldn't be. at first i sensed that David was coming across a bit dismissive of what Mike was telling him, yeah, I agree. And that could probably just be a defence mechanism because if you've got a, an actor who everyone will know, because I think everyone involved in the film will know mm. that Mike did not have a good time after the film was released mm-hmm. and suffered more than anyone else because of it. Yeah, that if you're chatting with him, <laughs> you know he's going to be coming from a position of hurt and anger. Mm. And if he's specifically requesting to talk to you and you know, David Chaskin, that you've gone on the record, blaming Mark or dismissing Mark. And David says he can say what he wants. I didn't tell him to scream like a girl. That's, that's a quote that that wasn't in the script. So that's David passing the buck about the queerness and the queer representation that you know, it might get a little bit heated and not going to be in your favor. So I can, you know, so I do. I respect that David sat with him. I respect that he apologized for it. And what was interesting though, for me, was that discussion about that David wrote it to capitalize, exploit mm. the homophobic sentiment mm. in the United States mm-hmm. because. We do have the HIV-AIDS virus hanging around. Mm. We've got a conservative government Mm. who is not supporting people living with HIV, Mm. people who aren't dying from AIDS because, well, why would you? Because there's victim-blaming here, right? Mm. And it's easy to dismiss when you're talking about communities and people you do not see as part of the mainstream who you do not see as being valuable members of the community and this is a discussion that could go on, 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 on. and on, and on. Uh, <laughs> but it was the sentiment and we're adding that pressure to mark as well mm. and now we've got a scriptwriter who is capitalizing on that mm. now i appreciate that he's doing it as a subtle subtext but during production that all goes out the window <laughs> because they cast specifically somebody who goes against the masculine norms yeah and like we've said and we said in our review of freddie's revenge because we both thought and still do think very highly of mike Patton as a performer you know who brings so much to the table Right, mm. So there's a lot of intentional things happening here. Mm. And so I think it takes a while for David to to sort of admit it his does. role in it. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that when he does, I, I do feel like it's genuine. And Mike does feel like it's genuine. Yeah. And it's only then in the car ride home that Mike says, you know, I would have liked apologies from two people. I got one and I'm happy with that yeah so and I and I'm, think it's pretty clear that the other person was Jack Shoulder yeah who because yeah it's the writer it's the director and again you can only perform the way you're being told to perform uh, yeah absolutely. you know yeah. and a director can only go off the blueprint that he's been given mm-hmm. if he chooses to because we know a lot of <laughs> there's some directors that go completely rogue well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey Robert Altman making mash <laughs> hi there yeah. So, yeah, like, I think the the point of views that come across here, they're all valid, they're all relevant, mm-hmm. and I think that whilst the filmmakers are definitely on Mark Patton's side, and so, so they should be, that's their intent, I think that there's still enough balance because... Totally. If I'm going to be devil's advocate,
1: mm.
0: can we, and the answer might be yes, can we be uber critical
1: mm.
0: of heterosexual people responding to and capitalizing to the climate of the day mm. you know yeah modern sensibilities mm-hmm. say that was really wrong it was mean-spirited yeah. it was cruel it was yeah. exploitive uh-huh there was nothing positive about your approach to the film no. and making this film and your treatment of your leading man.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: People didn't think that way 35 years ago. No. Especially when you are a part of the dominant ideology.
1: Yeah. You know. Absolutely.
0: So I, can, so I get, not yeah. saying I agree. No. I get Jack Shoulder and David Chaskin's perspective yeah. and why they take a really long time to acknowledge any wrongdoing, yeah. if at all.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably the only reason I can could maybe find it in my heart to forgive them, mm. you know, if I was in Mark's position, because they are coming from this perspective of, you know, they're both straight white men. Yeah. And, you know, it's just <laughs> really, you know, I, I, I do kind of, agree with the fact that i really don't think either of them should have been in charge of this film or at yeah. least should have felt oh i'm gonna make this mm. no problem yeah you know i don't think any of them had the authority to come in mm. and and do this and especially for for david uh, chaskin to have this attitude of you know that bloody quote in that magazine where he was like, mm. it was homophobic, yep. not homoerotic.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, that made me so angry because, mm. but that's, I guess, again, you can, from his perspective, you can see that take, like you can look at the movie and go, you, you like you can see how he was going for the homophobia just as easily as everyone has really seen it yeah. as homoerotic. Absolutely. I mean that doesn't make it any less heartbreaking. No, because it's just you know, because for for you and I seeing this now in you know modern times, like contemporary viewing, it's just you know uh, the movie was kind of ahead of its time in a way, yeah, and very brave in that sense of like, okay, let's let's really lean into this. Mm. But then to watch this documentary and then hear the director claims to have no knowledge Mm. of this this subtext being text really, and David Chaskin. Having a completely different approach in his head to the way it has been interpreted by literally everyone else. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Like that's that's what I don't understand. How can these two men sit there for as long as they have and continue to do in Jack Shoulders' case, really? Yeah. You know, claim that it's anything other than what we know it to be. Yeah. It just it doesn't make any sense, and it's just it's very very frustrating. To <laughs> yeah. to to hear that, but yeah, you're but you are right in the sense that because this is you know through no fault of their own, mm. their mentality is a result of the way they were raised, the society yeah. they were raised in, and because of heterosexual men being at the forefront, especially mm. in the eighties, yeah, it all kind of works in their favor of, you know, we had blinders on because that just didn't occur to us. Yeah. We didn't think about that because, oh, that's not what I was doing because I, you know, I I wouldn't write that. Yeah. Like, you know, so you can understand at least or you can reconcile at least what they're saying. Yeah. It's still very frustrating to listen to. And just to, there were moments where David Chaskin is like explaining himself to Mark and, and come... Like you were saying before, tit for tat, sort of, yeah. But like, there were some moments there where he's 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 speaking in response, and hmm. and you and the camera. I loved when the camera would like capture him saying a thing that just eh, yeah. maybe felt a bit off, or maybe came from a good place, but it was still the wrong thing. I don't know. Mm. But then just for the camera then to immediately show Mark's face, and you could see yeah. how. Physically and emotionally, he was reacting to every single thing yeah. that David was saying, yeah. and it was just—it was just so powerful. And I do, yeah, it did take it did take him a long time mm. to come to that realization at the end of like, okay, no, yeah, like I need to. Like, it's good that at least time has passed and, you know, because... And it it sucks that it's because of the convenience of the movie now being kind of beloved. Yeah. That they can... They feel comfortable enough. Because I 100% guarantee if the movie was still trashed upon... Yeah. Then uh, they would not have... This documentary wouldn't exist for while. No, exactly. And they would not be... These conversations never would have happened. No. And that's a big shame as well. But I feel like that's in some way, a, a lovely kind of recognition of the work they were doing, where despite the intention mm. from everyone involved, yep. it is a good movie. Yeah. It's a great horror film. It's a great queer film in general. Yeah. Whether you were intentionally <laughs> making it queer or not, you know? And and I do also see kind of where David was coming from in terms of the way Mark would interpret certain things mm. in the script and maybe direction from Jack Shoulder as well. Like, you can, you can tell that he's... He's probably taken some liberties because that's just the way he is. But yeah. then, it's on the same by the same token. It's also well, you've cast me in this role. Absolutely. So you've got to you've got to know this is what you're getting into. So yeah. it's yeah. So I, it's like you said. I really do appreciate that this documentary kind of while whilst it does focus solely on Mark's, Mark Patton's experience, mm. um, it does so in a way that shows both sides of the story. And I think yeah. that's where. You know, really great documentary filmmaking happens yeah. is when you are presenting everything. Yeah, you're not leaving. You're not being biased. You're not leaving things out. You're telling it as it is with all the facts. Yeah. And this documentary does that wonderfully.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I, I like that everyone has an opportunity to at least put their point of view forward. Yeah. Because I do feel like that for a while, Jack and David had been dismissive of Mike's feelings and experiences, but they can't know his feelings and experiences because he left the industry. Yeah. You just don't leave the film industry. Yeah. Right? Yeah. When you're in a top grossing movie, you've got some acclaim behind you from your previous show. You're in your mid-twenties. You know, you're coming into who you are. Mm. You know, you look stunning. Mm -hmm. You're talented. Mm. But... As Mark had said, he chose to leave when his agent saw him as Jesse and said, you can't be a leading man because yeah. you can't play straight. Yeah. So you're going to be a character actor. It's not what he wanted. No. He was getting all of this backlash. And he was also going through a lot of personal things as well.
1: Yeah.
0: One of the things that I really respect about Mark is that... And he... I think only really appreciates this retrospectively because he says it at the end. Mm. He got his taste of of fame when it was right to get it. He then was unwell and mm. that was when he was hiding from the public eye because he could not have gone through that health crisis in the public eye. No. It was destroying his peers yeah. who were feeling... And experiencing the same things, and now that things seem to have come in order, Freddie's revenge is more appreciated. It's now a comfortable and safe space for him to revisit, to reflect, to discuss, to confront, mm-hmm. to challenge, to embrace, and to sort of, I think, celebrate. Yeah, him and his role as Jesse.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So the question is now, Kendall, we've reviewed Freddy's Revenge. Mm. We've now seen Scream Queen. Yeah. Does sitting through Scream Queen make you feel differently about Freddy's Revenge?
1: Mm. Um, I I think I think so. Mm. I think I mean, look, I, from what I remember of, of recording the podcast, uh, our review, um, I feel like I remember enjoying it, liking it, mm. thinking it was a good movie, appreciating the importance of the, the gay subtext, mm. or text, <laughs> really. I, and I remember loving all of that. And then, you know, there are other parts of the movie that are just like, you know, the ending, of course, yeah. was, was not great. And, um, you know, there's a you know, overall it's, yeah yeah like it's it's a fine film Mm. but yeah but seeing this seeing this documentary i think it really does add to the enjoyment i think of the film or it makes Mm. you appreciate it a lot more yeah especially now you know what kind of hat was happening behind the scenes especially with mark Mm. you know because he's the focus of this this film and yeah and so i can really just kind of i i want to love it more anyway just because Mm. of what happened to him was so it was so unfair And he did not deserve that treatment, and it's not his fault. And that's like, that's the worst, one of the worst parts about it is that he did nothing wrong. No. He did nothing wrong. Yeah. And he had such a promising career Mm -hmm. ahead of him. Like, that, I didn't know anything about his stage work, I didn't know about, you know, Robert Altman or Cher or. The fact that things were heading... Mm. His trajectory was quite good. Yeah. You know, because that doesn't happen these days. You know, no. we, we see, you know, up-and-coming up actors and they just keep going. Yeah. Thank God, though. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff like this does not happen anymore. and yeah. probably will never happen again. Thank God. But, but the fact that Mark had to suffer through it is just awful. So I think just based on that, I just really want to appreciate the art of the film. Yeah. A lot more. Even though, yeah, I still think I do have... Some issues with certain things mm. in the movie, but I think, I don't know, I think it just kind of enriches the experience. Yeah. Having seen this documentary, just yeah, it just really reaffirms this appreciation for, you know, giving this film the recognition it deserves, you know, just telling people, it, you know, it's not your average horror sequel. I mean, I love how this documentary also goes out of its way to just, you know, at the start, really give context for. Not just horror hmm. Horror in the 80s yeah. Slasher films in the 80s And how they were just A dime a dozen Yeah Right They became this huge phenomenon That was just This insane craze That you know People either loved or hated Depending on your age Or your yes. You know uh, how your, your attitudes towards uh, Film <laughs> <laughs> Our mate Roger Ebert Our was mate, there Oh my yeah <laughs> I, I got such joy Seeing it's <laughs> always
0: sleeper. a pleasure it's Seeing Roger Ebert Always <laughs>
1: Every day, I don't care if he's ranting and raving or you know, heaping praise upon a film. (laughs) It's just fantastic. Because we have all this context Mm -hmm. of 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 what slasher films were in the eighties, I think we just you know, it's just really nice that, you know, this film as it is can now be just, you know, it can't be, you know, passed off as one of these generic slashes. Like I feel like the context that we get at the beginning of this documentary really helps to elevate this film mm. as something special, something different from the rest, and it just it can't be written off. So, yeah. So, for so many reasons, I think I just really... It makes me appreciate the film more, and I feel like it makes me just take notice of this film's legacy mm. and so i if any if i ever hear anyone bagging it out in public i will <laughs> i'll be like excuse me no you are incorrect watch this documentary yeah just to be sure because yeah i you know this movie deserves to be appreciated
0: i think so too from my part of it I've never thought about this movie as being a queer movie because for me it was always about intention. You've always heard that Freddy's Revenge was unintentionally gay, that all of this campy stuff just sort of happened to be in there and it was incidental or accidental. I no longer have that opinion of Freddy's Revenge. I think it is absolutely the first openly gay slasher movie and I love that about it. I absolutely adore that because there is no doubt in my mind that David Chaskin was coming from a place where he was using queerness in the story. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt that Jack Shoulder directing freddie's revenge was aware of this subtext mm-hmm. was aware of who his leading man is mm-hmm. and what he was bringing to the table mm. not only enjoyed what mark Patton was doing but encouraged it and amped it up more yep was using the antagonist played by the wonderful robert england who himself is flamboyant and witty and campy and allowing that energy to bounce off and play within the movie as well. Mm-hmm. The way that Mark Patton's body is shown off. And I know I mention his appearance a lot <laughs> when I talk about him in Freddy's Revenge, but because we've seen Freddy's Revenge, you, you know how much of an emphasis his body is yeah. in this film. yeah. How often he appears... In his underwear, or just shirtless, or drenching in sweat, and none of that is accidental. No, you know. So, for my money, yes, A Nightmare on Elm Street to Freddy's Revenge is the first mainstream gay slasher movie, and it makes me appreciate it even more. Regardless of whether the intentions were good or not, yeah. there were intentions to put queerness in there. Mm-hmm. And it's come together, I think, as a piece of cinema that queer audiences can relate to, especially if you're just getting into this genre as is mentioned you know in this film and as as i think we all we all feel we love the final girl in horror movies because they are always quite strong Mm. you know they're always outwitting um others they are the true survivors and how lovely is it to see a final boy like this Mm. now is jesse the first final boy in a slasher movie no another franchise had that (laughs) but If we look at Tommy and Friday the 13th, masculine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Has these typical masculine tropes. Mm -hmm. Even when we had him as a child portrayed by Corey Feldman. Mm. You know, he wasn't an effeminate boy. He was was a man of the house, for example. Mm. So what Mark Patton did with Jesse was bring out this lovely effeminacy if yeah. you like because we're all masculine we're all feminine we've got these traits regardless of what your gender identity or performance is mm-hmm. and with Jesse, these lovely effeminate qualities are heightened here and I just think that that makes Jessie such a significant final boy yeah. and I love that all these years later queer audiences especially young queer boys have someone that they can identify with Mm -hmm. they don't have to imagine being the final girl Uh they don't have to fall in love with tommy jarvis and 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 pretend to be his sidekick or try to be him but they've got jesse and i think that that's that's absolutely lovely Mm -hmm. so i think for mark patton to have a legacy such as jesse That's a wonderful thing. I think so too. So I I think that that's lovely. So yes, this documentary has made me appreciate Freddy's Revenge more. I Mm. don't know if I'd give it a higher score or not, but it's made me appreciate it more, its place in horror history, Mm -hmm. and it's definitely made me appreciate Jesse as a final boy even more. Same. Loved it. it. So some stats on Scream Queen. (laughs) So as of this recording, this documentary has a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb. It has a 100% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Very nice. 64% on Metacritic. And 69% of Google users gave it the thumbs up. But one thing that is as predictable as a slasher movie, Kendall, (laughs) is that your score is the most important one. (laughs) What was your score and final thoughts for Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street?
1: We have come to that important part of the podcast <laughs> yeah oh yes yeah look i i really would just be repeating everything i've been saying for this whole thing because there's so much to just uh, kind of unpack and discuss with this you know mm-hmm. with the movie freddie's revenge and then with this documentary it's a mm-hmm. lovely companion piece mm-hmm. to the film i highly recommend that people view them both like just in general or just view this movie in general i think i think this documentary is one that should be viewed A lot of people, not even just queer audiences. Mm. I feel like we've talked about, you know, outcasts. Yeah, we've talked about people who are not of the mainstream, and you know why horror movies like this exist for those audiences. You know, this is a documentary that should just be viewed by people who have ever been felt like they've been treated or perceived as other. Yeah, you know, because it's just, you know, Mark Patton is just kind of a, a very good representation. Mm. of the way society likes to unfortunately treat anything that is other than quote-unquote normal yeah but it's like i said earlier it's just it's just truly beautiful that some things so horrendous and horrific that happened to him has become this beautiful message the fact that you know he is you know obviously openly gay now he has a husband yeah he's got a beautiful life for himself and he's able to comfortably live within his legacy his place within the mm. the freddy franchise like that's just that's just wonderful you know um so that for me is the most i think important takeaway from this documentary is just the fact that mark Patton is able to you know live live his life and be proud of what he's done even though he you know struggled more than most people ever will mm. yeah the fact that he's as the documentary says and as you've said he's changed the narrative yeah he's claiming himself as you know a social activist which mm. he is yeah you know i think that's just beautiful the way he's turned it around i love how this documentary is a testament of that it's mm. living proof of things can get better for people. Mm. Things things will improve. You know, perseverance is you know something that must. You know, you can. I mean, you can you can react and 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 retreat from from whatever you need to retreat from. Take mental health yeah. considerations wherever you need to take them. But know that things will always always get better. Yeah. You know? And I just love the way that this movie kind of this documentary reinforces that, and also just is a lovely love letter to horror fandom. Yeah. The horror community, the queer community. Mm. Just the way it kind of lifts up all of the social outcasts, if you will. You know, the beautiful people of society. Yeah. You know, you know, those people who should be celebrated and never mocked. It's just yeah. It's a it's a beautiful documentary. It's so well made. And I love the fact that we have so many people Mm. that were involved at the time, still with us and still willing and able to be a part of the conversation and to just, I don't know, just celebrate this movie the way it deserves to be celebrated, really. Yeah. So I'm going to give Screen Queen 4.5 out of 5. Yes, yeah. well,
0: I yeah, I think that this is, like you've said, a wonderful companion piece to Freddy's Revenge. and um, But I think also beyond that, if you're interested just in filmmaking, if you're interested in movies, the history of movies... If you're interested in 1980s cinema Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. and what the Hollywood machine meant for the industry, for actors, what the audiences were like and how it all tied in to what was happening in American society at the time. This captures it quite beautifully, I feel. Mm -hmm. I think that there is a nice balance here of everyone who was involved. Yes, it's mark Patton's story but so it should be right i mean he produced this film as well so i'm glad that he's got control here as Mm -hmm. well because it is about time that he took control of the narrative because so many other people had control over it and everyone had all of these opinions about it and not really very nice but it's the true horror fans here that have really embraced this movie for what it is for what it could be and what it's turned out to be really (laughs) i think that you know as i said if you've got all of these people watching this movie and the queerness is that evident (laughs) yeah you know uh, (laughs) we (laughs) yes we know the intentions behind it and i do love that the, the queerness of the film has gone from being something to maybe laugh at or to ridicule or to be like, oh, I can't believe they did that and didn't realise it, rah, rah, and be quite dismissive of it, to something like, no, this is something that's really special and worth celebrating, worth acknowledging, and worth watching and revisiting. And again, I think the person that stands out the most in this is mark Patton, and you know he was our highlight when we reviewed the film before we even Mm -hmm. saw this documentary Mm -hmm. so that shows what a bright star he really was in that small flash of fame that he had yeah and potentially what he could have become Mm. really but what's great about scream queen is that i think it tells Not only the story about the movie, but it tells us the story about the man and his experiences as well. And I think it makes it quite a personal movie, but it's definitely one worth watching for anyone who is interested in horror, who uh, is interested in filmmaking, the ramifications of the 80s and what that meant for people, especially gay creatives as well. Mm. But it is essential viewing for fans of the freddy movies mm-hmm. and you know as you've said a beautiful companion piece to a nightmare on elm street to freddy's revenge so scream queen gets four stars from me
1: wonderful yeah. <laughs>
0: well kendall i'm glad that we were able to review this movie mm-hmm. hand in hand with freddy part two mm-hmm. So I look forward to our next visit to Elm Street (laughs) to see what part three has in store from us. Mm. Uh, Based on the feedback that we know that part two got, it's going to go in a completely different direction. Yep. And probably a bit more true to what Wes Craven had set up in part one. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to that as well.
1: Me too. Me too.
0: (laughs) So until our next fearsome Friday. (laughs) I've been a Wayne Stellini.
1: I've been a Kendall Richardson.
0: And you've just experienced Fred Watch.
1: Cue the music. <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and scene. scene. Yay. <laughs> we got through that. <laughs> we did. Oh
1: god, I was a bit of a hot
0: mess. Was it, no, no, you're fine. Blooper reel. Hello.
1: Hello. Hi there. Shit. What? Am I, am I supposed to be doing that? Yes, yes I am. Yes, you are. Oh my God. Straight <laughs> off the bat. That's okay. I ruin it.
0: No, no, no. no. You're right. right. Always glad to be talking movies with you, my dear.
1: Likewise. <laughs> and I forget <laughs> Every single time.
0: One of the things that I really do respect about Michael Matt. I totally forgot his name. Mark. 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 I said Mike, and I was going to go Matt. <laughs> yeah. you know, I wanted to call him Mike
1: earlier. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> this insane craze that you know people either loved or hated, depending on your age or yes. your, you know, uh, how your your attitudes towards uh, film. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Our mate Roger Ebert Our was there. Mate, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, oh I got Such joy seeing. It's Always favorite.
0: a pleasure seeing Roger Ebert. Always. <laughs>
1: day i don't care if he's ranting and raving or you know humping praise (laughs) heaping praise upon a film um it's just fantastic um but but um sorry i said humping and now (laughs) 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 i've I've lost my train of thought (laughs) good luck editing that out um yeah but but yeah i think um but yeah so yeah horror context okay um Oh shit! Um, I was talking about uh, the horrors and the slashes and yeah, the
0: film begins giving you all of this context.
1: Giving you all this context and and I, I forgot what my point was. Yeah. Shit. shit! 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 It was really good too. I'll get it, I'll get it back. Hang on. Okay. Give me give me a minute. Um, yeah, talking about my appreciation for the film and just okay. Yep. Now I remember where I was at. Okay. Um, uh I just need to figure out a way back in. He's got a beautiful life for himself and he's able to comfortably live within his legacy, his place within the, mm. the Freddy franchise. Like that's just that's just wonderful, you know. Um and
0: Sorry to let Gypsy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's alright.
1: It's alright. I think
0: was... flashbacks to when we were recording Superman. Yes! <laughs> oh my god, oh my god. A long time ago. A long time ago, yeah. I mean, gypsy. But it is essential viewing for Fran. Cue the music. And scene? Yep. Yeah,
1: but at the same time. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, and scene. scene.
0: After the show. Yay! We got through that. We did. Oh,
1: God, that was a bit of a hot mess in that. Sorry.
0: Was no, no, you're fine. Yeah, there were earlier moments where I've gone, oh gosh, I feel like I'm rambling and I've totally forgot what my point is. Go yeah, back, go yeah, back. Yeah. <laughs> I felt
1: like that once yeah. or twice.
0: It's hard when you've got such a loose script to follow. Yay, you know? yeah. yeah, Yeah, it is a bit, yeah. But
1: no, I think we did well. Like, I think we said everything we yeah. we wanted to say. It was a good discussion. Yeah, it was, yeah. went went longer than I thought it would as yeah, well. Yeah, I think or just, or I'm guessing with edits that'll probably come down to just under an hour.
0: Yeah, I, I'm guessing maybe 45. 45 what's the run it's an hour now hour now yeah like 45 minutes so which is good I was expecting 20
1: (laughs) (laughs) I would look I was I was probably expecting at the least probably 30 but yeah Yeah. I'm not surprised to see it's gone
0: up yeah yeah so that'll be good Yeah, yeah
1: lovely Good stuff to Well,
0: Jason. Next time. Jason. Next. Time. <laughs> Back to Jason. Back to
1: Jason. Can you believe
0: it? Part six already. Part You're six. Up to part six. Wow.
1: <laughs> I can't believe we're up to part six. Yeah. That's hectic. Yeah. That was hectic. Gosh. So how many? So just twelve all up. Yeah. Twelve. Okay. So we'll be halfway through Jason after this. Yeah.
0: Next yeah. Wow. Uh, I know I say this every time you're about to do a Jason movie. I'm really interested in what you think about part six. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's okay. Uh, yeah. Flip, it flips
0: the script a little bit. Okay. Yeah.
1: In in, in different ways to to previous couple films have? Um,
0: yeah. Uh, it's... Because I don't want to give too much away, but I will say... And I don't think this gives much away. Mm. Um, it's... Especially, like, if you compare what part five did mm-hmm. and how that was contentious and where that was trying to take the franchise with Mm. tommy as the focus and so forth Mm -hmm. um because you obviously know that tommy is not the main villain because we're still talking about jason you know there's six other you know seven other movies to go Mm. um yeah this one's like significant in terms of the jason narrative oh yeah 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 so that's a good thing or not <laughs>
1: yeah. No, I'm excited. I am looking forward to. Yeah, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always looking forward to more, more Jason. Yeah, yeah, oh, I'm glad. yeah. Good. Of course, yes. more Jason yes. and more Freddy. Now that we're we're getting into. Yes. Yeah, I'm so curious to see how, like, different number three will be as like a in terms of a yeah. course correction maybe for the mm-hmm. franchise, just because of. You know, because of the reaction, obviously, because you know, filmmakers and studio executives in particular listen to their audiences generally. Yeah, About yeah. stuff like this, especially if it's you know negative if negative press could you know prevent m- money being made, then they'll do Absolutely. anything they can. So I'm excited to see. You know, I hope I'm not disappointed yeah. by number three, but I'm very curious.
0: Well, I think with because I've, I've seen number three before, but it's been been a while. Like I do remember elements of it. And it's, and obviously I know Jason really well, but it's interesting that now at this point of the franchises, right, we've just had Freddie part two, changed it up, mm-hmm. negative feedback from fans. All right. Jason five was changed, changed it up, mm-hmm. had Roy instead. Yeah. Negative feedback from fans. Yeah. So now I love that you said course correction. Yeah. Because now we're up to part three yeah. and six respectively. Yeah now they've got to change it around, don't mm, they? And mm-hmm. get the fans back, back on track. On side, yeah. Because, yeah, you're right, we need to make money. Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah, at the end of the day, yeah, unfortunately. And, yeah, and especially since <laughs> the Jason ones are so cheap to make. Yeah. You know, you need to keep that fan base to justify bringing in money because yep. at least you're not spending a lot to make them. No, no, you know? absolutely. They're good profit, yeah, yeah, profit-making and, movies. Yeah, and Freddie makes money because... Yes, you are investing that bit more in it because of all the visuals and stuff. Mm. But at least you're getting, you know, more, um, cr- more um, positive feedback from critics. Like Jason never really True. got that. No, But no. Freddy, at least in yeah. some, at least in the early movies, would be getting that. Yeah. So yeah. people reviews. who maybe wouldn't necessarily watch a slasher might be interested in one. Mm. So yes, yeah, so it's interesting this time uh, of both franchises. Um, you know two totally different studios and producers and all of that
1: mm-hmm.
0: are now facing the same dilemma yeah. <laughs> in in point of their franchise yeah. franchises because yeah. both are making their studios huge huge money of
1: course yeah yeah. It's- very fascinating that it's happening at the same time yeah, with yeah. like both these two big horror juggernauts. Yeah. And I'm sure is when we get to it, we'll see m- maybe the same thing with Michael Myers. Yeah. I suppose. Well,
0: especially cause that one has so many retcons. Yeah. I know. It's going to be exhausting. <laughs> <I Yeah. think. laughs>
1: but I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. Though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause the Michael ones are are good too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The Michael ones are good too. Mm. Mm. Cause you know, you always go into that debate who's better, because you know the Michael and the Michael and Jason fans just butt heads. I,
1: yeah, I <laughs> you know. know. Yeah, <laughs> just butt heads.
0: It's like, no, Michael was first, so he's better. <laughs> yeah, but Jason made it a franchise, yeah. so he's better. <laughs> freddie used visuals, so he's better. Yeah. <laughs> Can't we all just get along? Yeah. <laughs> at really. least at conventions, people do. Yes, thank God. I love seeing all the people in conventions. I know, it was I, so nice. I love how into it they are. Yeah. How nice is it that that Mike just gives it all to his fans as well I because know. he's not dismissive of it. And again, they just embrace him so much, and I think that's lovely. that yeah. Back as well.
1: I think that's one thing I, probably should have said that I didn't mm. was the fact that um, he could have so easily have just, you know, been fully aware. Of both sides of, of yeah. the reaction to Freddy's revenge, like the negative side yeah. and the positive side, and decided to stay out of the spotlight, decided yeah. to remain in Mexico, not engage with the fans at all. Mm. Like, he doesn't have to do anything. No, of he doesn't that. owe anyone anything. Not at all. Like, he can live his life however he chooses. And the fact that I feel like that's kind of what I was getting at with him being so brave earlier. Yeah. What, like, one of the things was the fact that he was okay enough to come back in mm. the spotlight. And you know, as a way to kind of heal for himself, yeah. You know, by engaging with his fans and seeing what it means to them because he didn't have that when he was growing up. Yeah. obviously, you know. So the fact that he can actually kind of pay it forward in a way, yeah, um, and engage with the fans on that level—it's just is super sweet. And yeah, the fact that he just—he doesn't have to do it, and he does it anyway. Yeah, um, it's, it's so nice. This is why I love conventions, and I—yeah—why I hate. When people don't understand yeah. why why people go to these things or why why I queue up for ages yeah. to get a photo or an autograph mm-hmm. with a, an actor that you know yeah. I don't know who the hell they are really, <laughs> you know? um, but they you know they played someone that had an influence on me. Yeah, they, people don't a lot of people don't get mm-hmm. why I do that or why anyone would do that. Yeah. and I just love how again that this movie you know. You know, I kinda of hinted at it with the, you know, how it kind of lifts up, you know, mm. nerd culture, the horror culture and all that stuff. I love the way it just kind of makes it okay for fans to engage yeah. with the artists yes. within the, you know, the thing that they love. Like yes. it's just it's so good because it's only positive. Like, Absolutely. Every
0: everyone is there just really excited and you've got all of these strangers. You know, who don't know each other, will never see each other ever again. Yeah. But there is just this shared community and love, and I think that that there's something just really beautiful about it. And I think why I really like Jesse now, especially for audiences now, and especially because everyone's talking about it so much, and I'm glad they are about the importance of representation. Mm-hmm. So I remember seeing a documentary on. I'm pretty sure it was Friday the 13th, or it could have just been horrors in general. Mm-hmm. But there was someone who had said, they're like, you know, we, you yeah, know, for those of us who were on the out, and I think this man was heterosexual, so it's was just somebody, you know, not taking the queer angle on it, that so just shows the broad appeal. You don't literally, you know, you can still be, you can look like you're a part of the mainstream, but not necessarily feel a part of it. Mm. And you can still be, the dominant ideology and still be ostracized, right? So you could still be on the outer. Mm-hmm. And he was saying about about slashers, he was like, one of the great things about slashers is, you know, we were always on the villain's side because all of the victims were jocks and cheerleaders yeah. and, you know, bullies yeah. and bitchy people <laughs> and the authority, everyone who made our lives hell. And so there was still that connection there, but you're right. You know, Jesse now elevates that for a certain group of people as well. Um, so I always found that, I always found that interesting. Mm. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, people who are so mainstream, uh, just don't understand that. <laughs> no,
1: no, you know? no, it, I don't. I think a lot of people that are, you know, I guess, yeah, so mainstream or just so popular yeah. or whatever it is, they don't, they they're just not wired that way. Mm. They're not wired to consider the other or consider yeah. any kind of you know any any kind of person that is different to them. I mean, and probably as an adult as as adults they probably just you know feign ignorance. Really, mm. they just. Or just don't engage. Yeah. But obviously, as kids, they're gonna, you know, act out and and do bad things because they don't understand. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's 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 so interesting that yeah, I just I just love that I love the fact that we started this. You know, Fierce and Friday thing. And here we are discussing all of these huge issues. Yeah, these,
0: these big world issues. These big
1: world and, and political, so you know, sociological yeah. issues about, mm. you know, human beings. And I, I mean, it's, I mean, we both love art for the same reason. Yeah. You know, it challenges us and it makes us view the world in a different way. We get different perspectives. And, and even though we kind of understand this perspective pretty well. Yeah. But it's it's nice that it's being put in the forefront. For, I, for everyone to kind of engage with
0: I think so and I think yeah. this is why I just love movies so much because yeah. not only is it storytelling but it just says so much about us and when you watch older movies it says so much about a particular time period yeah. which is why I'm always very anti like censorship and cancel culture and stuff Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know and when we talk about older movies there are things that you go well you couldn't put that into a movie today and mm. if you did this into a movie today, you would be offended by it. And would have every right to be, because we know better. Yeah. We behave better. We yeah. know better. Yeah. But I've always said, you know, you can't, for me anyway, I'm not comfortable criticising a movie from a contemporary lens. No. I can critique it. Yeah. And say, you know, like, wow, that representation was really off, or wow, you know, like, but I think that just opens the door for bigger discussions but yeah. I like always have to take movies in the context that they were made um, you know which yeah yeah which is why when you know Philip and I had our gone with the wind discussion I was, it was say, you yeah. know because it was hated on a lot and I appreciate why people um, might hate it and things and things like that and look I'm the communities I'm involved in um, and are a part of are not being represented in that movie no. so I can't speak from a place of of pain or hurt or anything like yeah. that personally, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's reflectant of the time that it was made. It was reflected yeah. of the time that the source novel was written and who wrote it. Yeah. Um, so, and you can't, and also because I just know about the making of the movie, the astronomical <laughs> event just to make the thing onto itself how can you just dismiss that just from the art of filmmaking and the artistry yeah. of producing a movie you c- and just say well no it's uh, you know it's this racist movie that should just be dismissed I just I can't say it that way no
1: no no you can't you no. can't like it's I I don't think you should and I don't think that's what art why art exists yeah what art should be doing like it's not supposed to be silenced or censored mm. in any, any way we don't have to agree no. with the context no. or, or the message yeah but, you know, if it's a film like Gone with the Wind, which is, you know, mm. I mean, yeah, okay, not perfect, obviously, mm. but, you know, considered one of the best made films, especially of its time. Yeah. And it remains to this day. Yeah. Highly significant. So it's just, I hate the fact that it's gotten to a point where we might be learning from our past, Yeah. But we're also trying to erase it at the same time.
0: Yeah, I'm not... Never comfortable with that at all. No,
1: and the fact that there's some, I think it's Disney Plus, I think some Disney Plus titles that are older, Mm. that they have in their catalogue on Disney Plus for streaming, if there is something that's slightly off, that wouldn't fly today, they put a disclaimer on it, like up top saying this, you know, film may contain outdated cultural references or something. Which I'm fine with. Which is fine. So an yeah. acknowledgement yeah. I suppose, like don't erase it. No. Like, and this is you know, not to be me but to bring up Michael Jackson and the Simpsons mm. debate, you know. My head was going there. Yeah, yeah. good. Good. Because it's so disappointing that, uh, you know, that episode mm. has been essentially removed from the canon. Yeah. Um, you know, Disney Plus won't Include it. So is
0: it actually not on Disney Plus? Nope. Oh wow, okay.
1: No, it's not there. I don't. I mean, I haven't checked recently. I don't know if it's been readded to mm. to season three. Hopefully, it has. Yeah. Um. But it just it's so frustrating to me because, I mean, I know he was innocent. Yeah. I know he never did anything wrong. But there are a lot of people out there that think otherwise. Yeah. And I understand why they. Yeah. Do. I totally do. I am not going to be biased on that. He was definitely one of a kind
0: yeah
1: you know um and he definitely uh led his life the way he wanted to lead it so far as he could but probably should have made some different choices yeah and i don't hate him for it i you know i don't think any less of him for it he was a human being i think that's the other problem with (laughs) with michael jackson is the fact that so many people uh put him on a pedestal yeah. And viewed him as something other than human for us to kind of take possession of. Um, and it's so frustrating that that has kind of turned into this monstrous thing that now people can't... You know, they can't. people can't listen to him or, or, or watch him without having to justify why. Yeah. Or they have to claim death of the author yeah. or any of that stuff, which... I mean, look, if, if you're not comfortable, then that's fine. You've got to do what you've got to do. But I hate the fact that people are trying to... I mean, it's not not so much these days, but when that stupid... You know, I'm not calling it a documentary, but when that stupid thing <laughs> happened two, two, three years ago now... Yeah. Can you believe? Um, yeah, you know, a lot of people were cancelling him and, and removing him, and it's why Stark Graving Dad is not on... Anything, yeah, I've just had anymore. a look. It's still not there. It's still there. not there.
0: No, yeah. yeah. Your season three opener. Yeah. It's not there.
1: Yeah, makes no sense. Um, But yeah, it's... it's So things have calmed down now. Like, because, you know, for a while, people were jumping on bandwag- bandwagons yeah. and banning him or, like, banning him, removing him from radio stations, mm-hmm. all this stuff. I'm, like, it doesn't happen anymore. He, I hear him on the radio all the time. Yeah. Like, it's, it's fine. But it's just... It just really frustrates me that, you know, he didn't do anything wrong, but... He was vilified to the point Hmm. where, you know, people believed he'd done something wrong. Yeah. You know...